Well, we all love a good story, whether it's a true story or a good book uh, or a great movie, which is evidenced by what we will pay to go to see a movie at a theater these days. Uh, that we do, we love good stories. And one of the things that you'll notice in any story or book or movie are uh, three major movements that carry us through any story. That, um, at, there's obviously several parts, but if you had to boil it down, these are the major parts of any story you'll ever encounter. And that, where first of all, everything starts off, you could say just static or in stasis. But then from there, the first thing is some sort of trigger, some sort of incident that propels a story forward that gives us the second part of the story, which is this quest toward reversal, they say in, um, in kind of how to write a story. This quest toward um, redeeming, maybe is a better word, for what has happened in that trigger. And then from there, uh, you have the end of the story, which is the resolution. And we're, you know, the happily ever after, if you will. And so uh, an example of this in a story that we're all, for the most part, pretty familiar with, uh, say the three little pigs. And that, again, you've got them starting out all as well. They've got their three little homes. And then the trigger. The big bad wolf shows up and he huffs and puffs uh, the two houses down that are made of sticks and straw because he decides he wants some ham for dinner. And so these two little piggies run to the third piggy's house, which is made of brick. And the big bad wolf can't blow that house down because it's made of brick. So he goes down to the chimney where he is met with demise as he enters into a pot of boiling water, which the, the story is now reversed. It's redeemed. The pigs are saved and the resolution. The three pigs learn their lesson, they build brick homes, and they live happily ever after. And so that really is the basic structure of just about every story you'll ever encounter. And the cool thing about how stories that we love work is that if you look closely, the stories that we love actually all borrow the same storyline uh, or the same parts of a story of God's ultimate story. That every story we love, every movie we love, every book, you'll notice actually follows that same storyline that is always borrowed from God's ultimate story. And so you can see it laid out in scripture as in Genesis chapter one, God creates everything and it all is well. He says in Genesis 1:31, it is good. And then from there, um, the trigger, the trigger incident steps in and Satan as the serpent slithers in and tempts Adam and Eve saying, you could be like God. You can know good and evil if you just eat of this tree to which they do. And that is the one thing God told them not to do. And so then sin enters the human story, not just the human story generally, but specifically for us. Sin has affected us all and has most specifically separated us from uh, able to have a relationship with a perfect, sinless God. And so you could say ever since that time, that trigger, man has been on a quest, a quest toward reversal of what sin has brought into this world. And honestly, better you could say, rather than man being on a quest toward God, more accurately, God has been on a quest toward us to reconcile the relationship that went wrong with sin. And we recognize that that was made right and none other in this, re this reversal of his sending of his one and only son, Jesus Christ, and his death and his sacrifice, which we just celebrated in communion, to make that relationship right again. And so that reverses the story. Rather than sin leaving us to eternal death, we then reverse the story, we redeem the story, and we now have eternal life. And that life is a life that God has turned right here in this world. But then eventually, one day, uh, in heaven will be fully reached the full resolution where uh, he says in Revelation 21, where he will make all things new. And so that's God's storyline. That is a storyline that he has put on the creation and the history and the up and coming realities of this world. But it's also a story that's not far removed from us, but it's a story that God wants to bring into the fabric of our lives. 
And so that's what this storyline series is all about, how God wants to take um, the storylines of our lives and how we want to discover how God wants to intersect his storyline with ours by what we can learn from other stories uh, through people in our congregation, people in our community, uh, as we look at different stories of people's lives each week. And so our story for this week really is a story of redemption. Uh, we're going to look uh, briefly at the story of uh, Will and Terry Taylor, a couple in our congregation, who, um, where God took the trigger incident of a tragic divorce in both of their lives and what God did to, even in the midst, to redeem their story, both for their betterment and, frankly, for many others as well. And so I invite you to turn your attention to the screens as we hear this story of God's redemption in their lives. I guess our story is that we really wanted to help others because of all the things we went to before we got married, all the different questions we asked, all the different things we read, those were extremely helpful. And it's like, boy, why didn't we know this before? Why didn't we have any knowledge of this before? Why didn't we have these resources before? And so we started thinking, well, what else is there? And Terry found this uh, marriage mentoring training up in the Quad Cities and she signed us up for it. And after we went through that, I thought, wow, this is, this is a good program. And so we thought, why don't we try to do this for our church? We did it for our church up there in the Quad Cities and got it started there. And then I took a job down here. So we were hoping we could get it started here. And here we are, we, we do have it started. It's really working well, I think. What excites me about marriage ministry is it's something that Will and I can do together. And I just really have a passion for helping other people and helping couples to hopefully um, not have to go through the same oh, yeah. problems that we faced yeah. and, and to be able to, to know that they can overcome those challenges and have a healthy marriage and a strong marriage. When you go through these processes that, that really help people, helped us yeah. and helped those that we train to be mentors, that, they admit it too, how great it was to go through this because they now have better marriages even if they don't mentor anybody. It's just really been a good, good mm -hmm. help. What do you think? Yeah. We see tears shed and we, yeah. pray, we pray with them. And yeah. It's just a, it's been a real blessing. God is in this because he softens hearts. Mm, and he really works in their hearts. You can see it working everybody's heart as they go through this material and they think about, you know, how to relate better to my spouse, how to relate better to my family. And it's so biblically based. I mean, we're using scripture and it's so biblically based so, it's, so you're just immersed in the scripture anyway. And then the, these principles come from that. So it's, it's all about God. I mean, God is in this whole thing. When I was depressed, God was there. I just didn't know it whenever I was uh, searching, God was was there. Uh, whenever we went through uh, my divorce, even though I was going through this horrible time of my own self-inflicted, His hand was there, pulling me through it, and it's just unbelievable. And that's what I'd like for everybody else to understand that He's there. He's wanting to help us. We just need to know Him. And we need to take those steps to know him. That's what this ministry does. It helps people to know God better. You keep looking at me. <laughs> Sorry.
So a great story of how God really took or redeemed the trigger uh, that Satan, as it says in John 10, he, how he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And that's what he intended to do in Will and Terry's life. But how he turned that around, how he redeemed that and gave him, as Jesus goes on to say in that verse, John 10, 10, to give them life and life to the full, not just for themselves, but also for the betterment of others, as they have helped over 70 marriages uh, through their ministry and counting. And, um, and so if that's something that you're interested in hearing more about, uh, you can check out firstdecatororg slash marriage uh, to find out more about how their ministry might be a, a help and a service to you uh, or maybe to someone else you know. And so today, as we continue on with the storyline that intersects with our storylines, um, today isn't necessarily a sermon about marriage. Uh, it might apply that way to you, but really the message of the tailors of, of God's word that we're going to look at here in a moment is a message of redemption, of God taking that whatever's Satan's trying to steal or kill or destroy in your world, whatever that is, that God wants to take that turn it and give you life and life to the full. And so to give us some, some handles for what that looks like based on God's word, we're going to look at Romans chapter 8 this morning. So I invite you to turn in your Bibles there. As in just a few short verses throughout Romans 8, we really see this whole narrative unfold. Everything from the trigger to how God wants to reverse or redeem that situation, as well as the resolution that he wants to bring to that setting. And so Romans chapter 8, verse 18 we're going to start by actually just reading the first six words uh, in verse 18 that reveal that first part of this storyline, the trigger that we all face in our lives. And so the Apostle Paul, writing to the church at Rome, that's what this is, it's a letter to a church uh, to encourage them. The Apostle Paul writes to them and now us in present time. He says, I consider that our present sufferings, and so before we go on, um, I don't want to just skate past those first few words, but let's take a moment to intersect our individual stories with that first part that Paul is setting up for us, that to consider our own present sufferings, to consider or to identify uh, what is it that in your head, in your heart, um, is a suffering or a struggle or a trial or a challenge or at the bare minimum, I would just say, what is a less than favorable situation in your life right now, that where all was well, stasis was the situation, but then there was this trigger that changed things for you. You know, maybe as you listen to Will and Terry's story, um, it, it does stir up the challenges that you face maybe in your marriage currently. Um, or maybe you're in a situation where you are on the other side of a divorce, and while the relationship to your former spouse is no longer a spouse, you're still trying to figure out now that they're still the mother or the father of your children, what does this relationship look like? How does that work? Um, or maybe for you, all is well until you got that test result from that doctor's appointment and it has triggered the rug coming out from underneath your whole life. Uh, maybe for you, it's a financial struggle that you're trying to wade your way through. Uh, for others, you could be in maybe a dead-end conflict, it feels like, with an important relationship in your life, maybe a family member or a friend or someone you thought was your friend or a coworker, or maybe someone who's a physical neighbor to you and, and you're just not sure how to proceed. For others, you might just wish you had a relationship significant enough to have a conflict in. You're, just, you're tired of feeling all alone and by yourself in this life and in this world. Maybe for you, um, you know, you, you look back on 
when you had kids that were um, at the terrible two stage because now you have kids that are grown or growing and the challenges that you face now, you'd give anything for the terrible twos in comparison to what you face now. Maybe um, it's a hallway talk at, at work, you know, rumors about, you know, staff restructuring and layoffs, you know, have you on pins and needles. Maybe in here you're a student today and you're, you know, maybe a junior or senior in high school and you know you're at the final throws, particularly if you're a senior, to figure out, okay, what am I going to do here in a couple months once I cross this threshold of graduation? And what is life going to look like? Or maybe you're a college student and you've been putting off declaring what that major is going to be and you know you've got to decide and to decide is to make a lot of decisions about future decisions in that one decision and it's got all of your attention as a college student. You know, maybe... The situation is that all was well in your life's narrative, but then suddenly this past year, one of the characters is no longer with us. They've passed on, and you're trying to figure out what does life look like without them in our story. Maybe for you, you have, maybe you're not even sure what it is, and you just have this unclarified angst as to uh, what causing worry or tension or stress with inside of you. You're not even sure what it is, but just figuring it out is half the battle and you're not quite sure what it is that's going on that's triggered these troubles in your life. And then unfolding from that, and and really from any of these mentioned or not mentioned triggers, uh, perhaps depression and despair has crept in and taken root in your heart. The Apostle Paul says, consider your present suffering to identify what is it that has your attention that's taking up the bandwidth of your head and your heart in your life. And so identify that. And I know it's kind of a downer um, to be for church, but it's life that exists outside of sitting here in pews on a Sunday morning. It's the real things we face. And so Paul says, consider your present suffering. But the good news is, is that Paul and the story goes on. And so pick it back up in verse 18 and say, okay, so what do we do with this? The Apostle Paul again, he says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. And so we'll come back to what that's all about. Uh, But verse 20, it says, For the creation is subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself, that it will be liberated, that it will be set free from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been been groaning out as in the pains of childbirth. Well, before I go on, quick sidebar. Um, This has nothing to do with the sermon, but... It's funny. And so I'm going to share it. This past week, I'm sharing about writing this message with my wife. And I was, kind of, I was trying to illustrate how difficult it is to write a sermon. Sometimes I feel like writing a sermon is like every time I feel like a, it's like I'm giving birth. To which she said, no. <laughs> we have, as John alluded to, we have four kids. You, you do not get to talk about anything feeling like anything related to childbirth. <laughs> Duly noted. So the reason... The reason I bring that up is because I can sense as the Apostle Paul, a single man who never had any kids, is talking about the pains of childbirth. I see the women in the room maybe rolling their eyes a little bit. So you have permission to roll your eyes a little bit at the Apostle Paul as he says in verse 22 again. We know that the whole of creation has been groaning as in, he's kind of like, the pains of childbirth. And we get the metaphor though, that as we look at our world around us, that the pain and the suffering that is here, that there is 
um, something that's very difficult that is being used to explain um, the faces that what we have in the face of our world. And so he talks about the pains and the struggles that are in our world. And the Apostle Paul says it's happening right up to the present time. And so that's important because as we think about the storyline of our lives and the storyline God is revealing to us, that this, now we're in real time. We've moved the story to real time, present time. And here's what it looks like for us now in current day. Verse 23, uh, he says, not only so, not all of, that all of creation is experiencing like the decay and the pain that's in the world, but then we ourselves, so now the Apostle Paul is speaking specifically to us. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, he's saying, if you are, then you have the first fruits of the Spirit. You have the first fruits of the Spirit, and you groan inwardly as you wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship. And so what the Apostle Paul means by all this is he's saying that even though in the present time we have these triggers, we have these trials, we have these struggles, we have these sufferings, we have these things that we face, we also in the present time of our story have for us, for those who have named Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord and put their trust in him, you then have access to, it says, the first fruits of God's redeeming work at hand. And so those first fruits, that's that second act in the story. That is the quest toward reversal, toward redemption. Just like we heard in the Taylor story, God wants to do that in your trial, in your struggle, in your situation. And he gets very specific as to how God wants to do that. If you can scroll your eyes down to verse um, 28. Verse 28. This is what those first fruits look like right here and right now in present time. The Apostle Paul affirms and encourages us, we know. That we can know, we know that in all things, God is working for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And so that's the good news of right here and right now. Not just someday, maybe that right here, right now, that if you embrace the first fruits of what we have and what God is doing, even in the midst of our struggles and our trials, he is at work within you to want to reverse or better said, redeem that which, um, again, might be a struggle or a suffering or a trial that you face in your life, that you identified, that you considered here uh, just a few moments ago. Um, I want to give you a, an example, a, a story, if you will, which is how appropriate for our series, but a story of another guy who did this, um, a guy by the name of Jason. Uh, it comes out of a book called A Million Miles and a Thousand Years by author Don Miller. And the uh, byline to this book is what I learned while editing my life. And I wanted like a big, like granny rocking chair to read story time to you, but we're just going to do a black stool instead. Um, and so... This story um, is, uh, again, Jason is a friend of the author, Don Miller, and uh, he shares how Jason redeemed uh, a trigger that had taken uh, captive his storyline for his family. And so Don Miller, uh, the author says, I got together with my friend Jason, who has a 13-year-old daughter. He was feeling down because he and his wife had found pot hidden in their daughter's closet. She was dating a guy, too, a kid who smelled like smoke and only answered questions with single words. Yeah, no, whatever, and why. <laughs> and why was the one, uh, the answer that Jason hated the most. Have her home by 10, Jason would say. Why? The guy would grunt. Jason figured this guy was the reason his daughter was experimenting with drugs. You thinking about grounding her, I asked? Not allowing him to date her? We've tried that but it's gotten worse. Jason shook his head and fidgeted his, uh, his fingers on the table. 
Then I said something that caught his attention. I said, your daughter, she's living a terrible story. Well, what do you mean, he asked. To be honest, I, I wasn't really sure what I meant either. Uh, but he went on, I, I don't know exactly, but she's just not living a very good story. She's, she's caught up in a bad one. I said a lot of other things, uh, and he kept asking questions. We must have talked for an hour or so, just about story, about how novels work, and why some movies are meaningful and others simply aren't. I didn't think much of it at the time. I just figured he was curious about movies. A couple of months later, I ran into Jason and asked him about his daughter. She's better, he said, smiling. And when I asked why, he told me his family was living a better story. You see, that night, after we talked, Jason couldn't sleep. He thought, about the story of his, he thought about the story his daughter was living and the role she was playing inside that story. He realized he hadn't provided a better role for his daughter. He hadn't mapped out a story for his family. And so his daughter had chosen another story, a story in which she was wanted, even if she was only being used. In the absence of a family story, she'd chosen a story in which there was risk and adventure, rebellion and independence. She's not a bad girl, my friend said. She was just choosing the best story available to her. Well, how did you get it out of how did you get her out of it? I asked. And I couldn't believe what he told me next. Jason decided to stop yelling at his daughter and instead created a better story to invite her into. He remembered that a story involves a character who wants something and has to overcome conflict to get it. Again, it's a whole trigger and quest for redemption. I started researching some stuff on the internet, Jason said, and I came across an organization that builds orphanages in Mexico. And that sounded to me like a pretty good ambition, something maybe my family could get involved with. It sounded like a good story. Right, I said, trying to remember the elements of story myself. So I called this organization, Jason continued, and it takes about $25,000 to build one of these orphanages. And the truth is, we don't have that kind of money. I mean, we just took out a second mortgage on the house, but I knew if we were going to tell a good story, it would have to involve some risk. And so the story goes on. Jason calls this family meeting with his wife uh, and his child, and um, they get together, and he announces how they're going to fund this orphanage, to which his wife and daughter look at him like he's lost his mind, and he starts to wonder, maybe I have lost my mind. Uh, and so they storm off because the daughter's upset because she knows this is going to you know, ruin her plans with you know, life and what she wants to do. And you know, the wife is a little upset because he forgot to run that by her before announcing this big thing. So anyway, the wife comes around and you know, encourages him for his courage and all this. And then a few days later, Jason goes on to share, says a few days later, Rachel, their daughter, came into our bedroom and asked, can we go to Mexico? Annie and I, Annie's his wife, Annie and I just sort of looked at her and didn't know what to say. So then Rachel crawled between us in the bed like she used to when she was little. She said she could talk about the orphanage on her website and maybe some other people could help. And that she wanted to go to Mexico to meet the kids and take pictures for the website. That's incredible, Don said. You know what else, ma'am? Jason said. She broke up with that boyfriend of hers last week. She had his picture on her dresser and took it down. She told me he said she was too fat. Can you believe that? What a jerk. A jerk, Don agreed. But that's done now, Jason said, shaking his head. No girl who plays the role of a hero dates a guy who uses her. She knows who she is. She just forgot for a little while. So great story of how one dad took 
what Satan was trying to steal, kill, and destroy in his family and discover a new story of what God wanted to do to reverse, to redeem, to give him and his family life and life to the full. And so as you consider your present suffering, what might God be wanting to rewrite in your story as he intersects his story in whatever your trial, your suffering, your struggle you identified is? And so that's act two. But then from there, there's act three, which honestly, no matter how bad the situation is or even how good God does something with it here on this world, on this planet, neither will compare with what he has in store for us for act chapter three. And so again, scroll back up to verse 18. Um, If you have a digital situation, you are scrolling, otherwise you're looking with your eyes. Uh, And so look again at verse 18. Uh, Again, as you consider your present challenge, your present suffering, the Apostle Paul says, in comparison, they are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. You see, the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to the church at Rome where those Christians were facing suffering and persecution just as a result of being followers of Jesus Christ. And so the Apostle Paul is encouraging them that whatever you're going through, legitimate sufferings, that when Jesus Christ returns and makes all things new, when he, Revelation 21.4, when he wipes away every tear from every eye, when there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, the old order of things will have passed away. When that comes, when that resolution comes, know that the present struggle you face will not be able to compare or even come close to being worth comparing to even the present sufferings we have in our life. Now, that encouragement, don't misunderstand. The Apostle Paul is not trying to um, minimize the depth of our present struggles. In fact, if anyone was familiar with legitimate struggles, it was the Apostle Paul. He wasn't, you know, writing these letters to churches from his high-rise Ritz-Carlton, you know, whatever. He is, he is in prison writing these letters. He has been beaten and flogged and stoned and left for dead. He was abandoned by his closest friends. Um, he uh, was in, towards the end of his ministry in Acts 27. He gets shipwrecked and he gets stuck on a piece of driftwood where he floats to shore where finally he thinks he's going to get relief and then he is met by a viper that bites him. It's like, man. So Paul is no stranger to suffering. And so understand, Paul is not trying to minimize present suffering, but he is, in fairness, trying to perspectivize. That's not a word, but it should be. (laughs) He is trying to put in perspective... Uh, or right size, you could say, the present suffering as it compares because it doesn't compare to that which God will do eternally. Again, verse 18, with the glory that will be revealed in us. And so anticipation of that reality, verse 19 says after that, says in the midst of our trigger, in the midst of our present struggle in our storyline, it says, therefore wait in eager expectation. Wait in expectation for the children of God, that's us in the storyline, Wait in eager expectation for the storyline's ultimate resolution to be revealed. That's what we have, that even as God works in the present, we also have at the same time the hope of what he's going to do in the future. To illustrate this a little bit um, and kind of make some sense of it, hopefully, uh, in my life, I love uh, Texas Roadhouse. Um, Just throwing it out there. And one of the things I, and what I love at Texas Roadhouse actually is their salads. (laughs) okay so some people are nervous some of the guys are starting to rush the stage and revoke my man card because they're like what you get the salad no no let me clarify 
I like in addition to my giant steak, as one of my two sides, a salad that comes out before the meal. Are we on track now? Are we good standing? Okay, yeah. Because the salads are awesome. They have their own homemade ranch. They have these homemade croutons. And they bring this out, and it's, it's wonderful. It's a great little salad to start the meal. But then what happens is the waiter or the waitress comes, and as they go to take my salad bowl and my fork, they will often say, would you like to hold your fork? Uh, to which what they mean by that is, do you want to hold on to that fork? Because I'm sure the salad was good, but do you know that your steak is coming? And so do I want to hold on to my fork? Yes, I want to hold on to my fork. Thank you very much. I'll hold on to that fork because as much as I love that salad with his homemade ranch and croutons and that shredded cheese, and then how can we forget the fresh baked bread and that cinnamon butter? It's all great, but hold on to your fork because steak is coming. That sort of is how, <laughs> how God wants to write the story of both our lives and our eternity. That yes, God wants to do some good stuff right here, right now, all that's worthwhile and it's life and life to the full, but hold on to your fork because even better is coming. In uh, 1 Corinthians 2.9, it says that what's coming, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no human mind has conceived the things that God has prepared in advance for those who love him. The resolution of our storyline. And so putting this all into perspective, look again at Romans 8, actually bump back to verse 17. This, we didn't look at this yet, but it really sets the stage of everything we're looking at. The Apostle Paul says, now if we are children, then we are heirs, like, like heirs to the throne. We are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. And if we indeed share in his sufferings, if we have trigger, triggers and struggles in our lives, also we may share in his glory. And so verse 18, I consider that my present sufferings, my present trigger are not worth comparing to the glory, to the resolution that will one day be revealed in us. And then verse 21, it says, one day all of creation will be liberated, will be set free from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory that is part of the children of God. As we ourselves, again, we have the first fruits of this right here and right now at work in present time. God is working, it said in verse 28, for the good of those who love him, but Hold on to your fork because verse 25, we anticipate with full, um, the full resolution of hope that we don't yet have, but we wait for it and we anticipate it patiently. It says, for our full adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies, the glory that will be revealed in us. And so that's the message of Romans. That's the message of the storyline that God wants for us. That even in the midst of our present suffering, even in the midst of the present good that he wants to do, he also, we can at the same time hold this tension of kind of this, yeah, God's at work now, but he hasn't done everything he has in story yet. Hold on to that fork. That's what we have to look forward to in Christ. And so to help us kind of not just let this escape, because I know we're all thinking what we're going to eat for lunch now after that. Um, <laughs> How do we take what we've learned in a few minutes on a Sunday morning and actually give attention to it in the living of our lives? And so in your program, when you walked into worship, you'll notice there was a, a sheet of paper in there. I'd invite you to grab that out. Um, you might be looking at it thinking, man, the front office needs to invest in a new paper cutter. Um, it's intended to be that way because frankly, just like our own triggers, our own stories, you know, they're a little beat up, they're a little tattered, they're a little rough around the edges, and frankly, no one outside of you as an individual, even those closest to you, fully understand the weight of that trigger, of that trial, that suffering that you face. 
um, but the Lord does. And so what we're going to do here over the next few moments is we're going to invite you to take, to kind of go back to the beginning of the message and, and identify, consider your present suffering. What is that trial? What is that struggle? Maybe it's a relationship challenge. Maybe it's a health struggle. Maybe it's a financial situation. Um, maybe it's um, a loss that you face, whatever it is. And I want you to take a moment just to grab a pen and to write that down. And uh, if you're worried about like people seeing it or something, I totally get that. So if you just want to put like a check mark on there or a little symbol or something that, you know, just you know what it is. Um, and then to take that sheet of paper and we're going to pray about that here, give you some time here in the service, but to take it and, you know, put it on your you know, bathroom mirror or on the dashboard or if uh, you actually read your Bible, you can stick it in your Bible if you'll come across it. Uh, maybe you're more digitally inclined. You just want to snap a picture and set some reminders on your phone to consistently reach into the reality of the ultimate storyline that God wants to write in this present story of you to recognize that this is just a chapter. It's not the story that God has for you. And so the way we get to make that happen is to continually surrender and surrender and surrender that before the Lord and trust him to do what only he can do. And so over the next few moments, go ahead and write that down or represent that however you'd like. And then just pray, surrender that before the Lord, um, both here in this time and again, to take that with you um, in the days ahead. And so we leave that with you as the worship team uh, sings over us this promise that we've been talking about of what God wants to do to redeem whatever it is on that sheet of paper, both now and for all of eternity. So we'll let you do that now. Father, we pray because there's a lot at stake. To not take seriously, to not pay attention to what it is that you want to do in the midst of our stories, the beautiful things you want to do both here and now and for all of eternity is to miss the life that you have for us and to not have life, uh, to want to just die, that's not natural, uh, but to want what's best both for us and for those whom we have influence over, that's what we want and that's what you want for us. And so God, I pray that these words and check marks and symbols on sheets um, would continue to be brought before you and laid before you for what it is you want to do both in us and even more importantly through us for others and ultimately to bring you glory both in this life and for all of eternity. And for that, we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, it's good, been good for us to be here together today. Uh, just a few things to draw to your attention before you leave because uh, they're time sensitive. They're in your program. We can find out more information. But this upcoming Friday night is Ladies Trivia Night. So if you haven't had the chance to sign up for that, you can sign up by yourself or with some friends. Uh, there's a table out in the lobby where you can sign up or by tomorrow online uh, for that. And uh, if you're a guy, I'll see you at Texas Roadhouse, I guess. I don't know on Friday. Um, and then one other thing, uh, the Intentional Church Conference, which is a conference we host uh, here at our particular congregation on uh, April 23rd is coming up April 23rd. You can register for that online at intentionalchurchconference.com. The reason that I bring that up to us uh, is because it is actually a um, conference for lay people, for those who don't work at churches to say, okay, how can we continue to be intentional as a church? We have people who come from all over the state and actually even out of the state uh, to be a part of that. And so if it doesn't feel like that special because it's right here where you already go to church, just drive around the city a couple times. Do a few laps and it'll feel special because you'll drive further and uh, you can be a part of what it means uh, for God to work in us to do what he's called us to as a church. So you can sign up for that online. So with that, join with me, stand up, and we are going to declare together. Grab your little um, torn up, tattered sheet here and we're gonna read the verse off there one more time 
again, as a, as a prayer and a sending off for what God wants to do in us. Romans 8:28. let's read it together. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Amen. May it be. Have a great day.